Hello and welcome to the Feck It Fun Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. I'm Helly and I'm here to provide regular bursts of information and inspiration, some neuroscience applicable to eating disorder recovery, perhaps a few rants, but otherwise lots of positivity with a bit of a Feck It attitude, some fun and a sprinkling of fabulousness to help everyone find freedom in recovery. It's another episode of the Feck It Fun, Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. Welcome everybody and I hope you're all doing well and enjoying summer or winter depending on which side of the globe you currently find yourself. So let's talk then about eating disorders because that's what this podcast is generally about and today's episode is about how you go about reprogramming your brain from a restrictive eating disorder. Now, you already know that I consider an eating disorder now to be a brain-based addiction to energy deficit. And if you didn't already know that, then you probably need to go back and listen to a few of the previous episodes before you listen to this one, so it all makes a bit more sense. So, Having already introduced the concept of an addiction to energy deficit in the previous episodes and spoken about some of the neuroscience to that, which included explanations of the deep learning and dopamine balance systems in the brain, which are so powerful at holding a person in an addiction and making restrictive eating disorders as hard to overcome as they are. Although, of course, hard to overcome doesn't mean impossible to overcome, not even for you. Because I know you think you're the unicorn, but I haven't met a unicorn yet. So this episode starts to explore what's needed to what I call reprogram your brain from the eating disorder, from this addiction to energy deficit, and considering whether to use what could be thought of as an abstinence or a moderation approach to giving up the pursuit of your drug and your drug with an eating disorder is energy deficit. So you need to be able to give up that drug of pursuing energy deficit to overcome the eating disorder. But firstly, let's just think about what do I mean by brain reprogramming? So for this, you need to think of your brain as a computer. Imagine your brain is a computer that's been hacked and it now has harmful and unwanted programming within it. So to get your computer running smoothly again, it's going to need to have the harmful programming removed and new programming added. And that new programming needs to be on a par with what was there before or an improvement on what was there before. So the same is true for your brain. An eating disorder has hacked your brain, but you can repair your brain to override this harmful programming that the eating disorder has left there. And for this, your brain needs to replace the faulty wiring and programming that's currently in there with systems and circuits that will allow you to function without an addiction to energy deficit ruining your life in the way it is at the moment. So if you think back to the deep learning and dopamine balance models for the eating disorders addictive pursuit of energy deficit, 
There are two ways in which your brain needs to be reprogrammed. So the first of these relates to the deep learning model, and that's to unwire the eating disorder circuits and wire in new circuits that drive healthy new habits, the habits that you want that aren't driven by an eating disorder. And then the other way is related to your dopamine balance, and that's to adjust the levels of some of those key neurotransmitters in your brain and other brain chemicals back to a stable baseline. So effectively, this means that your brain needs to unwire the currently deeply embedded and automatic eating disorder habits and develop new learning and habits, driving behaviours that you want in your future life. And that involves stopping the old behaviours, so those pathways in your brain are no longer being pursued, and developing new behaviours to build new habits, which will allow new brain pathways to develop and grow into new and happy neural networks, far removed from the eating disordered ones. And that's effectively what we call unwiring and rewiring. And when you also give up the behaviours that were also creating a deep dopamine deficit in your brain, you will also be allowing your brain the time it needs to reset your dopamine levels so that you no longer carry so much inner anxiety and inner pain around with you. And all of that is very possible. It just unfortunately does take a lot of hard work and going through some very challenging emotions. Because ultimately, this means going against automatic habits to which you have difficulty now applying rational reasoning. And it means experiencing emotional pain that you've probably pushed deep within yourself through the eating disorder for years, possibly decades. So this is going to be the hardest thing you are likely to ever do in your lifetime. You are going to need support and probably time out from other life demands. But if you are strong enough to have lived with an eating disorder for any length of time, then I know that you are strong enough to overcome it as well. So when you can understand an eating disorder as an addiction to energy deficit, where energy deficit can be considered your drug, then it's possible to start to consider how to overcome this addiction with methods commonly used to address any form of addictive disorder, moderating engagement with the drug or abstaining from it. And at the end of the day, abstinence is usually going to be the gold standard approach. Because abstinence, when you completely abstain from a drug or from an addictive habit or behaviour, it gives your brain the chance to fully reprogram, both in terms of rewiring and resetting your dopamine levels, so that those miserable withdrawal symptoms, the high anxiety, low mood, agitation and irritability, which I've spoken about in a previous episode, they will hopefully then subside sooner rather than later. And when dopamine does fully reset in your brain, it's restorative and you will feel so much better. And when you can also stop using old brain pathways and networks, 
more completely and build entirely new ones, you also have a better chance of achieving the most effective rewiring. But sometimes though, abstaining is just too hard or it's not possible. And that's when you might consider a moderation approach, which can also be effective. So using a moderation approach can take longer to get where you need to be, and it might be that you moderate your engagement in the eating disorder behaviours initially before ultimately abstaining later. But moderation is better than taking no action to bash the eating disorder out of your life. So whatever you do, don't do nothing. But what then do abstinence or moderation from an eating disorder actually look like in relation to what you do or don't do to follow these approaches to overcome the eating disorder? Well, for this episode, I'm going to explore the abstinence option in terms of giving up or overcoming a restrictive eating disorder. And then in the next episode, I'll talk a lot more about a moderation approach and what that might look like in comparison. So as I said before, the gold standard approach to overcoming addictions is abstinence from the addicted drug. And of course, your addicted drug can also be behaviours or it can be something like energy deficit. Abstinence from the behaviours that lead your body into a state of energy deficit is the best way to ensure effective brain reprogramming and physical restoration to emerge fully from that energy deficit state. And there are also some other advantages to an abstinence approach. So other advantages to abstaining from the eating disorder behaviours is that mentally it can actually be easier to abstain completely. Abstaining from any drug or addictive disorder can be just mentally easier to manage because when you try to cut back, you're still allowing yourself to engage in your addiction, but just not as much. And that creates extra mental gymnastics to navigate in terms of then how much you will still do, where you will cut back, what is okay, what isn't okay, And it just gets so complicated. Setting limits for yourself and trying to keep within them takes a lot more stamina and mental effort than just saying no to everything. Another thing is that while you are still engaging, even if it is in moderated amounts, you're still using the eating disorder brain pathways and you're still pushing up your dopamine levels. And both of those factors will actually make your cravings to engage in more eating disorder behaviours that bit stronger than if you did abstain altogether. Abstinence also provides more clarity to the extent of the eating disorder and to the impact it's having on your life than you can gain when you're actually still engaging in it. It also provides more black and white rules for the eating disorder behaviours that are easier for you and anyone supporting you to understand in terms of what now you're trying to do to stop them. And by abstaining, you're also eradicating the feel-good hits. When you're still engaging, even to a lesser extent, you still get hits from your drug. And when you continue to use your drug, your brain will want more, making sliding back a greater risk. And one thing I need to clarify here, because I think some people are getting a bit confused by this. If you've had an eating disorder for a very long time, 
then when we talk about hits from your drug, we're not really talking about you getting highs or feelings, even feelings of feel good anymore from engaging in the eating disorder. Getting a hit from your drug now or getting a hit from the eating disorder now probably doesn't really make you feel good, but it will make you feel numb. And when you're not using the eating disorder, you feel really, really quite rubbish. You feel anxious, you feel agitated. And so your hit from your eating disorder just numbs it. It makes you feel able to function now. It makes you feel able to cope with life. But it doesn't necessarily give you that sense of high anymore or real feel good. Although sometimes you can still get that as well. So I just wanted to clarify that because I have had a couple of questions about that. And so, okay, going back to abstinence then. Yes, I know the thought of abstinence from the eating disorder probably sounds very confusing. But let's just hang on in there. We're going to get to how you go about abstaining from an eating disorder in a moment. But I also know that the thought of abstaining from the eating disorder probably also sounds very overwhelming. You might think that you can't do it. It will be impossible and you'll never cope. But I say to that, give yourself a little bit more credit. If you've been strong enough to survive an eating disorder, you are strong enough to, perhaps imperfectly at times, abstain from it. So take it one day or even one hour at a time, using support, and you will get through this. And then one final thing to say before getting into the nitty gritty of how to abstain from a restrictive eating disorder. Any of you now thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me because I've never restricted that much. I don't do that much exercise. I only purge a couple of times a week. And actually my weight, it's not that low. If these are thoughts that are running through your head, then just stop all that. It's all EDBS. Just push it to one side. If you have any level of restrictive eating disorder that's harming your life and you haven't been able to stop the related behaviours because of how compulsive they are, then this applies to you just as much as it does to anyone else. So tell your thoughts saying otherwise to feck off. So let's get into then how to abstain from a restrictive eating disorder. Now, I appreciate that abstaining from a restrictive eating disorder takes a little bit more creative thinking than with other forms of addiction. But just because it's a little bit more complicated, it's actually not that complicated. It just takes logical thought and going against everything you feel is right not to mention going against everything diet culture tells you is right. So grasping what it means to abstain from energy deficit can actually become clearer when you think about what the opposite of energy deficit is. So the opposite of energy deficit is energy surplus. And to abstain from an addiction to energy deficit, you need to pursue energy surplus. So this means stopping any behaviours that maintain or deepen your energy deficit state. So that means behaviours that would typically lead to weight loss or control your weight at a level below your set point and engaging in behaviours that have the opposite effect. 
And yes, this means that it's time to be positive about weight gain and doing things that will cause it so you do get this miserable eating disorder out of your life. Gaining weight is essential to emerge from energy deficit and allow your body to find energy balance. Weight gain is a good thing. It's where your ability to heal mentally and physically to find a free life sits. And once again, I'm just going to clarify that the advice to pursue weight gain to emerge from energy deficit and reprogram your brain is the same, irrespective of what your starting weight is. So I'm going to make an episode about restrictive eating disorders in people in bigger bodies in future. But please, please understand that this information applies equally to anyone of any size. So please don't switch off, keep listening. So now that I've terrified you, well, I've terrified your eating disorder anyway, a little bit more, let's get into more details about how to abstain from your addictive pursuit of energy deficit. So with some of the behaviours, it's a lot easier to make black and white rules about how to abstain. You can just decide to say no to some of the behaviours. So things like purging through vomiting, weighing yourself, chewing and spitting, calorie counting, weighing or tracking your foods, using Fitbits. These are all eating disorder behaviours that you can just abstain from. That's not to say it will be easy, but you can make pretty clear rules about these behaviours that you just say, no, I'm not doing that anymore. But when you think about abstaining from restriction, that's when it can get a little bit more complicated. Because when you've had an eating disorder for a long time and you've been eating restrictively for a long time, being able to grasp what unrestricted eating looks like can be quite difficult. Because suddenly, just eating an extra cereal bar in the day, when you've been eating restrictively for a long time, that can actually feel quite extreme. But just in case you're not sure about that, eating an extra cereal bar in the day is not extreme. Um, I just wanted to clarify that to any eating disorder brains, still convinced that it was. So grasping how to go from eating with restriction to being told to eat without any restriction can actually be very complicated for a brain that just really doesn't get it yet. So to help you begin to process what abstaining from restrictive eating might look like, it can be helpful to ask yourself the following questions. What would someone who was eating to deliberately gain weight do? What would somebody who was doing the opposite to being on a diet do? And the answers to this would be that they would eat most of the time predominantly high fat, high calorie dense foods. They would be choosing big meals and lots of snacks. They would not be avoiding processed or fast foods. They would be including all food groups and all food types, understanding that high density is better and avoiding nothing other than diet products. They wouldn't count calories or have limits and they would eat like a person who didn't care a fig about weight gain. And that image of that kind of eating and approach to food is precisely what abstaining from restriction can look like. And using that approach 
also addresses some of the complications your brain can create about ensuring that you're eating enough. Because we all know when you're worried about eating enough, it really means that you're worrying about eating too much, in inverted commas, or eating the right amounts. If you're eating to gain weight and with an aiming to gain mentality, the only right amounts are as much as you can and deeply really want. And more of the benefits of this abstinence approach to your eating and details of how to go about it will be covered in future episodes, but it's all covered in a lot more detail in the book. I don't think I've mentioned my book yet in this episode. So the book is called Addicted to Energy Deficit. All of this and so much more is inside this book. So please buy it. It's available to buy now from any online book retailers. Pick yourself up a copy. I'm sure it will be very informative or it'll be good to send you to sleep. So the other compulsive behaviour then that many people struggle from with a restrictive eating disorder and from which abstinence isn't quite so clear cut is movement and exercise. So compulsive movement or exercise manifests differently for everyone and can change over time. Some people perhaps go out running every day without fail. Others might walk the dog each day for 20 minutes or do low-level yoga twice a week. And really the amount of exercise you do is largely irrelevant. If the exercise or movement you engage in is compulsive and addictive, meaning it's hard to stop because doing so creates high anxiety or agitation, then it doesn't matter how intense it is or it isn't. It is all valid. It's damaging your life and abstaining from it is the best way to overcome this addiction. And your chance of success at abstaining from compulsive movement, as with any habit, will be much greater if you have a plan for what you will replace the movement habits with. So think of some things that you can do instead of your usual movement rituals that is also sedentary, and ideally that you can do with food in your hand, heading towards your mouth. So with formal types of exercise, it's easier to make black and white rules for how you will abstain. So you can just say no to formal exercise, no more formal exercise whatsoever. No walking that isn't essential. Dogs should be walked by someone else wherever possible. No yoga or other forms of, oh, but it's only stretching. No, it's compulsive, stop it. No cycling, even if you try to convince yourself, you have to get about. Use another means of transport, use the car, use a bus, use Uber. And if you really can't do any of those things, then just stay at home. So that's the more obvious forms of movement and exercise that are easier to set black and white rules for. But what about lower level movement? Now this is where it gets harder to be so black and white because lower level movement is necessary for life to an extent. And this is where only you can be honest and upfront with what is essential and what isn't and cut out what isn't. So just in case anyone isn't sure, compulsive lower level movement includes things like moving about the home just for the sake of it, standing rather than sitting, doing housework or laundry, fidgeting and just moving for the sake of moving. It's sneaky and it's very compulsive for many people with restrictive eating disorders. 
And unless you address these lower level movement habits, they are going to prevent you from fully reprogramming your brain and overcoming the addictive pull of the eating disorder. A few ideas then for how to address lower level movement would be you make rules for yourself that if you could be sitting, then you make yourself sit down and you keep still. You avoid household chores, you ask others to do it for you for a while, while you're overcoming the eating disorder or you get a cleaner and a gardener. If you really, really don't have anyone to help with the chores and can't afford to pay for help in the short term, then set very, very strict limits for yourself on how much time you will spend cleaning each week and keep to it. Your house doesn't need to sparkle. This is your health and future at stake at the end of the day. Prepare a lot of food in one go and take it all with you to sit down so you don't have any excuses to keep getting up for more food, telling yourself that it's absolutely fine because it's going to get food, so that means it's okay. Take it all with you in one go. Park the car in a space closest to the door to the store when you go shopping. Visit the aisles you need and go straight back to the car. Don't park in the furthest space away or walk around the shop just for the sake of walking. And make people in your life aware of how much the lower level movement you are compelled to engage in matters for your ability to overcome the eating disorder. Because this stuff they don't understand. It's impossible for people to understand eating disorders anyway. But this lower level movement thing It's very, very hard for someone who's never had an eating disorder to get this stuff. So please explain it to them. Make them better informed and then they will be better able to support you. Overall, exercise and movement can make or break your chance to overcome the eating disorder because it can be so hard to stop. But abstain from it all as much as you can. Being honest with yourself and those around you about how much of what you do is compulsive and seek support to get through this, and you will get through this. And then the other thing to mention and talk about is laxatives, diet pills, alcohol, and other substances, because it's not uncommon for people with restrictive eating disorders to also habitually use some of these substances. And it's, of course, also critical to address these. But with these substances, it might not be medically advisable to use a cold turkey approach. And in the case of some ingested substances, your body might have developed a physiological dependence on the drug and stopping them abruptly could lead to physical symptoms or even be harmful. So in these cases, I always advise you to seek medical advice and support about how to stop them safely and whether a slower withdrawal or cold turkey approach is best. And then let's also just quickly mention rituals. I spoke about rituals in an earlier episode, explaining how powerful rituals are at driving you to engage in the full addictive behaviour. So once you begin to engage in a ritual that usually precedes an eating disorder habit, it's much harder to put the brakes on and stop yourself from fully engaging in whatever the behaviour is. So for each of your addictive behaviours, consider the rituals you have that surround them because these rituals act as triggers. And if you can address the triggers, you're gonna find it easier to stop the deeper addictive behavior that then takes you onto energy deficit. 
So identify your rituals and find ways to stop them. Change everything about what you do, when and how in your everyday life. So you're shaking everything up because that's often the best way to flick your brain out of its usual pathways that drive so many of your daily rituals and addictive habits and allow it to open up to the possibility of new ways of behaving, new ways of doing things. Overall then, anything you can stop and that's safe to abstain from to overcome the eating disorder will give your brain the best chance of effective reprogramming and your body the ability to restore so you get out the state of energy deficit. But of course, no one said it was going to be easy. I know how impossibly complicated and hard this feels and how terrifying. Going through this process will leave you experiencing emotions that are going to challenge you. You might feel very depressed at times and as if you're on a roller coaster ride of exhilaration one minute and deep dark blues the next. So doing this does necessitate support. I don't recommend to anybody that they do this alone. And for some of you, especially those with a history of trauma or other mental illnesses, going through a process like this might trigger past events or other conditions to worsen. And so in cases like that, I always, always recommend working with appropriate professionals, such as a psychotherapist. But for everyone, I believe that beating this eating disorder and overcoming the addiction to energy deficit is possible and you will get through the challenging process. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about using a moderation approach to overcoming an addiction to energy deficit and how you can do that, what that might look like, how it differs from an abstinence approach. And then the other thing I will also talk about is refeeding syndrome. So any of you listening at the moment who think you might be at risk of refeeding syndrome then please don't go jumping into completely unrestricted eating to really high levels of eating if you're currently eating very tiny amounts and get some advice on refeeding syndrome before you do so. But obviously those of you who are pretty confident that you're not at risk now of refeeding syndrome, then go for it. So yeah, future episodes will talk a lot more about refeeding syndrome and then the question of binges And as I said earlier, talking about recovering from a starting point of already being in a bigger body. And then talk about the evolutionary theory for eating disorders and how that also ties in to the addiction model. So there's a lot more coming up. Stay tuned. I know this episode's been a slightly longer one, but hopefully you've got some benefit from it. You probably think I'm completely insane, but hopefully you're feeling a little bit more motivated to go out and tackle a little bit more food or even a lot more food and a lot more rest and abstaining from all those other behaviours that you just don't need in your life anymore. You can do this. I'm Helly. You'll find me on hellybarnes.com. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Feck It Fun Fabulous and Free Eating Disorder Recovery Podcast. Don't forget, eating disorder recovery doesn't have to be boring and doesn't have to be serious. Now go and grab yourself some food and have a fabulous rest of the day.